Good evening, everyone. Thank you for coming. We'll continue with our reading from the Paramatma Sandarbha of Srila Jiva Goswami. We're at the third subsection of the 17th Anucheta, which is in the first section of the Paramatma Sandarbha, dealing specifically with the nature of Paramatma himself and his different manifestations as the Purusha avatars and as the Guna avatars. In this section of the uh, first area, I guess, of the Paramatma Sandarbha, uh, dealing with uh, Paramatma himself, we're speaking specifically of the uh, the Guna avatars and Jiva at this point in the 17th Anucheta is dispelling any misconceptions regarding um, the Guna avatars and the position of uh, Vishnu himself being the topmost of the uh, three Guna avatars. So although the Guna avatars in one sense are equal in that they're one representation together of the material nature. They have different functions in relationship to the material nature. And um, so the the principle of Achinta Beta Beta Tattva comes out to some extent in this area also that the Lord and his various energies and those which he empowers and those that are very unique like Lord Shiva kind of in between a God and uh, an actual uh, a God here referring to a, uh, a manifestation of the Supreme Lord himself and the uh, Jivatma a fragmental portion of that same Supreme Lord. So Shiva Shiva has a unique position there. So this 17th Anucheda in this third subsection is going to establish Bhagavan Narayan or Vishnu uh, as the ultimate of all knowledge systems. Therefore, uh, this Anucheta will bring out his supremacy in that regard. So what's going to be quoted here are eight or nine verses from the Mahabharata, the Santi Parva. And we'll just read through those as Jiva presents them in his Anucheta. O saintly king, these knowledge systems of Sankhya, Yoga, Pancharatra, Veda, and Pasupata should be known as various kinds of philosophical perspectives. The great sage Kapila is the spokesperson or spokesman for Sankhya, and he is known as the Supreme Seer. Haranyagarbha is the authority on yoga, and there is no authority 
authority senior to him. Apantaratama is the Grand Master of the Veda. So called, some call this sage uh, Prachinagarbha, the son of Brahma, known as Umapati, Bhutapati, Srikantha, or Shiva, who is an, of unwavering mind, spoke the body of knowledge called Pasupata. The speaker of the entire Pancharatra system, however, is the original complete absolute truth, Swayam Bhagavan, who is visible in all these different systems of knowledge, O best of kings. In conformity to the respective scriptures and to the respective forms of knowledge, O Lord of the earth, Bhagavan Narayan is the ultimate end of all these systems. But people covered by ignorance do not understand this fact in this way. The great thinkers and authors of the scriptures proclaim only him, the sage Narayan, as the original cause of the scriptures and no one else. This is my view. Bhagavan Hari ever abides in all these scriptures and that speak of him unambiguously. But Bhagavan Madhava Hari does not reside in any scripture that speaks with ambiguity or on the strength of reasoning alone. O King, those who are true knowers of the Pancharatra, however, follow it in the proper sequence and upon attaining exclusive devotion to Bhagavan Hari, they verily enter into him. O King, both Sankhya and Yoga, as well as all the Vedas, are eternal. All the sages combined together have concluded that this principal creation is Narayan. Mahabharata Santiparva Here the appellation, now Jeeva is going to explain uh, in his own words these particular verses from the Mahabharata and their meaning. And he says, here the appellation, Apantaratama, is a specific name of Sri Krishna Dwipayana in another birth. In fact, this fact is known from the same section of Mahabharata. These ten verses should be explained as follows. The first verse, in the first verse, Sri Vaisapayana points out various philosophical systems in order to affirm only Sri Narayan, who is the recognized deity of the Pancharatra, as supreme above all. In the fifth verse, he establishes the superiority of the Pancharatra, scriptural tradition, alone saying that it is spoken by Bhagavan himself. Jiva continues, Now when it is said, these are various kinds of philosophical perspectives from the first verse, it should be understood that they come into being in accordance with the 
secularist, materialistic, asurica nature. For it is said, in this world there are two types of created beings, divine and asuric. After carefully examining all the various knowledge systems, people of the divine nature conclude that they all culminate only in Sri Narayan, who is propounded as Bhagavan in the Pancharatra. This is stated in the fifth verse. In the second half of the sixth verse, sage Vaisampayana censures those of materialistic mentality. This is reiterated in the Vishnu Dharma Purana and the Agni Purana. And then he quotes from those the following verse. In this world, there are two types of created beings, divine and materialistic. Those who are consummately engaged in devotion to Bhagavan Vishnu are divine, whereas those preoccupied in exactly the opposite are materialistic. It may be asked, Jiva continues, in different scriptures, different opinions are expressed. So how can anyone know that Vishnu is their purpose? Because in the verses, that was a point that was made and established. In response, the sage speaks the seventh verse. The authors of scriptures other than the Pancharatra are of two types those with limited knowledge and the omniscient. The first are those who offer a partial or one-dimensional view of the absolute reality that accords with their own respective metaphysics. Just as a descriptive description of a part of the ocean is still a description of the ocean, their explanations also culminate in the complete reality, Bhagavan Narayan, even though they speak of him in a limited way. On the other hand, those who are omniscient have the following intention, saying thus, the scriptures have not been authored by us simply to confound the materialists, but to enlighten those of divine nature through negative inferral insights. After examining these scriptures that propound a partial and hence divided view of reality that is mixed with Rajas and Thomas and that pur propose excessively arduous spiritual practices and after seeing that the Vedas are difficult to comprehend, people will lose interest in these other texts. They may then plunge deep into the Pancharatra through which skillfully establishes the pure, undivided, complete, absolute reality, Bhagavan Narayan, who is the essence of all the Vedas and whose worship is easily executed. It is to this end, then, that Vaisampayana speaks the eight verses. We'll just read to the end. There's only a little more of the direct uh, before commentary Anucheda. Consequently, in order to incite exclusive study of the Pancharatra, 
for those who wish to quickly apprehend the true meaning of the Vedas, Vaisapayana goes on to speak the ninth verse. And because this is the situation, he concludes with the final verse. So the ninth and the tenth verse read as follows, just to remind us. O king, those who are true knowers of the Pancharatra, however, follow it in the proper sequence, and upon attaining exclusive devotion to Bhagavan Hari, they verily enter into him. O king, both Sankhya and Yoga, as well as all the Vedas, are eternal. All the sages combined together have concluded that this primeval creation is Narayan. Thus, if the supremacy of Bhagavan is established as the teaching of the Pancharatra, then how much more supreme is the form of Bhagavan that is established as such by the Srimad Bhagavatam, a text which time and again offers unprecedented teachings such as this. The sages, though freed from the knot of egoic identity and though delighting in the self alone, engage in causeless devotion to Sri Krishna, the majestic player. Such indeed are the entrancing qualities of Sri Hari Krishna. This specific form established by the Bhagavat Purana should be discussed. So what's it all mean? What's Viva Goswami trying to establish here by quoting these ten verses from the Mahabharata? That it, the ultimate knowable is Narayan. But there are many, many different schools of knowledge and many philosophical systems. And if we look at the various schools of knowledge and uh, theistic philosophy and atheistic philosophy that are available in the world, and we just analyze them from a non-sectarian viewpoint, if we look to all the great thinking that has been done by man in regards to the cosmos and himself and the prospect of spirituality and what is spiritual, we have to look to what's come out of from India. They've looked at these things for centuries upon centuries in a very comprehensive manner. So when we look to these verse these verses from the Mahabharata which culminate these ten verses uh, speaking spoken by Vaisampayana, he touches upon some of the major schools of thought that exist in India. And when we go into a little bit of the discourse this evening of the commentary on this particular Anucheta, I've done some research today and will touch upon as much as uh, we can these major schools of thought, these philosophies, as 
represented in India at the time. And also, we need to consider if we if we are to take as an accurate representation of the history of the world what's been presented in Indian culture historically, the fact that it was all at one time the whole earth was centrally governed, you know, and there was one uh, king who was presiding over everyone. Then we can see if we go back to the time of the Mahabharat that some 5,000 years ago, which Western history has a hard time even reconciling with for the most part, that there's really, there's not really a way that, that the Western philosophers have, have put forth any philosophy that even touches the depth of the, the thinkers of the time that these statements in the Mahabharata were made. So I wanted to proceed this evening with a little bit of an overview. Uh, I'm not well versed in all the different philosophical schools but I thought we should overview them uh, just so we can have a perspective of what is being presented here in the Mahabharata and specifically the Pancharatra which is that overall amalgamation of theistic philosophy and practice which comprises the basis upon Vaishnavism, the basis for the Vaishnavs, uh, the formal basis for Vaishnav philosophy and practice. That's what the Pancharatra is. It's those texts, those spiritual texts, which comprise the core of theistic thought that there is one supreme personality of Godhead. And of course, in their culture, that is Narayan or Lakshmi Narayan. And the basic elements of the Sambandha, the Abhideya and the Priyojan of Vaishnavism and then within Vaishnavism we have different ideals for primary schools. One coming from Brahma, a Sampradaya, a school of thought, the Vaishnavas, the Lakshmi Sampradaya, the Kumara Sampradaya, and the Shiva Sampradaya. So, but in addition, the, these comprise the Vaishnav schools of thought and the Pancharatra is made up of, well, I'll just read you some, some definitions 
that will give us a perspective. Um, what does Pancharatra Agama mean? The Pancharatra Agama is one of the religious texts that describe practical and theoretical concepts of those who follow the Hindu school of philosophy known as Vaishnavism. Although there are believed to be more than 200 Vaishnav Agamas, the Pancharatra Agama is thought to be the most authoritative by most scholars. The term, which is sometimes used to refer to the Vaishnav Agamas in general, comes from the Sanskrit pancha meaning five and ratra meaning knights and agama meaning tradition. So the tradition of Vaishnavism is, is the combined school of knowledge of the major Vedic scriptures because the Pancharatra deals primarily with what? An acceptance of the Vedas, the Shruti, the Smriti, and the Puranadi, the Puranas and the Shruti and Smriti that support this concept of Krishna Stu Bhagavan Swayam. So really the Bhagavat Purana, as uh, Jiva Goswami made clear in the Tattva Sandarbha, the very first Sandarbha, is the combined essence of, the, of all this philosophy that com comprises what would be commonly, uh, commonly be understood as the Pancharatra school of thought, or here, tradition, uh, the tradition of, of the Pancharatra tradition. Now a little bit more about this tradition as to the its its core practices or its core understanding. And this is coming from the Ramanuja Sampradaya. Um, and it deals with the different ways that the Supreme Brahman manifests to humanity or the different ways that that the supreme is recognized and associated with different different angles of vision or methods of envisioning so they are those methods of visioning visioning or Relating with the supreme absolute truth are para, vyuha, vibhava, antaryami, and archa. So let's just go over them, and this will give you an idea of, of the basic ways and means that the Pancharatra worships the supreme. Para, the invisible, formless, eternal supreme. Vyuha, the invisible, impermanent supreme in form. Avatar, also called the Vibhava, are the incarnations of the supreme in various yugas. Antaryami, not directly perceivable, 
but can be inferred. The aspect of the Supreme whose presence can be felt by a devotee. An archa, visible icon form, filled with symbolism, consecrated in temples or revered images inside home. Shalagram, conch shell, festive decorations, a means to remember and meditate on the Supreme. So if we think we have the para manifestation, which is not perceivable directly from our materialistic viewpoint, but it is that we all want to go to the Supreme Vaikuntha, which is that his abode. Um, no matter what the, the istadeva or the conception of, it, it does reside away from this domain and it's invisible to us. Um, Vyuha would be more of the meditational uh, manifestation of the Supreme, generally perceived in samadhi, but sometimes not. So it's, it's impermanent in that it can come and go. Um, then we have actual manifestations where the Supreme himself manifests within the material cosmos. Those we call the avatar. They're descending. But you can, they're not invisible. They're they can be perceived. Then there's the Yatrayami. It's that, well, here it says what? They're, the presence is felt by the devotee. And there are also, if we accept the Paramatma manifestation of the Lord in the heart, then there are some devotees who make that manifestation of the Supreme, the yogis, as there is today, and they have that vision in their samadhi in their meditative trance, they actually perceive that form. So in that respect, the antaryami would, would be but manifest both there and as the vyuha, or the temporary viewing, I guess we could say, available in samadhi. And then the archavigraha, which is the manifested form of the Lord coming at the request of his devotee for the benefit of humanity at large and his his devotees. He's invited into the form of the Lord and we can take we can take association there. It's interesting that these also are five ways of of communion with the Supreme which are available through this traditional Vaishnavism called the Pancharatra. So it, it comprises all that. When we hear Narda Pancharatra, it's that it's all that together. What do we Sambanda, Abhideya, and Priyojan? How's it presented in scripture? How is it practiced by the devotee in meditation and in service? 
to the deity or to one of these five in one of these five methods of of either sambandha gyan when it comes to what are those uh, ideals that we hold and how do we have that communion personal communion with the supreme so this gives us some idea of the the terminology that's presented here now although these verses from the mahabharat speak of these other systems culminating in the pancharatra and saying this is the this is the ideal because it centers it's the tradition that centers on the the theistic concept of the supreme known as narayan or whatever nomenclature bhagavan for us it's krishna so the all attractive we'll we'll take that nomenclature as most representative of the istadeva to which we aspire as opposed to the other manifestations of the supreme absolute truth in and specifically for us what do we say repeatedly the supreme personality of godhead krishna the supreme personality of godhead or in sanskrit krishna stu bhagavan swayam the supreme manifestation so a little bit of the commentary here uh, to be discussed so one could ask why why would shastra why would there be any scripture which would in essence mislead its readership why well it comes to a matter of qualification then we could say well and we've touched upon this point but it it bears repeating that well i can see in uh, here i am in kali yuga the worst time of man lacking any quote quote qualification for anything but the least scriptural presentation considering being immersed in the modes of passion and ignorance in a western culture how could i even aspire to have any here i'm i'm reading and 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 studying and seeing a classification of scriptures which are for somebody of my nature someone that's immersed in in ignorance you know and here i am having available to myself with no qualifications in what would be called sattva gun no self control no background no good birth no not nothing and here we are studying jiva goswami and and the and who's analyzing other scriptures and putting them in their proper place for a vaishnav and all we can say is 
well this is this is truly truly amazing go colère what is it premadon harinam sankirtan that the highest realm of spiritual conception galoka is being made available through what the prema of that the loving the loving manifestation of that is coming through Harinam Sankirtan, which is coming through Sri Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. So we, we look at, you know, the extraordinary logic and presentation of Jiva Goswami, which to us is sometimes even hard to wrap our mind around. The way he, the genius way in which he helps us analyze scriptural statements and put them in perspective and then the way he analyzes the different scriptures and allows us to have that perspective of how to properly view statements that seem contradictory in in the shastra itself which is well it should all it should all culminate in one thing it does and that's what's being spoken here in these verses from the Mahabharat by Vyasadeva that it does all culminate in the in the conception of Narayan why because that's its purpose its purpose generally it takes that's any it takes every section of humanity according to its nature or what we would call its involvement in a specific guna or mode of material nature it satisfies that section of humanity according to their desires and needs pulling them into spiritual appreciation or even a material appreciation for the content of scripture and ultimately leads them to the mode of goodness where they can have a depth of knowledge which is not covered by ignorance. So it's all intended for that purpose. So, Sri Jiva says to that in question, why would you have scriptures that would bewilder people? Jiva says that not all scriptures carry equal authority. The scriptures are related to the three gunas of Prakriti. Just as Vishnu, Brahma and Shiva are also similarly related. As Vishnu, the facilitator of Sattvagun, is superior to Brahma and Shiva, the scriptures connected to Sattva are also superior to those of Rajas and Thomas. This is so because only Sattva can release one from material bondage, as confirmed by Shiva. In the Varaha Purana, he, Shiva said, a conditioned being is liberated by Sattva, whose essence is Narayan. So people become attracted to deities and to scriptures uh, that correspond with the 
influence of the material modes of material nature, the influence that those modes have upon them. And what's Krishna say about that himself in the Bhagavad Gita? In the seventh chapter, he says, I alone supply unwavering faith, firm faith, to the devotees of various deities towards whatever specifically deity they wish to worship with faith. It's a little different English rendering, but but the the point is there. Krishna, he gives faith to people according to the mode of material nature under which they're they're currently being conducted. But true knowledge comes from sattva. Sattva is illuminating. And correct understanding of Shastra also comes from the knowledge of sattva gun. So any statement in scripture which contradicts um, the sattvic scriptures must be interpreted to reconcile with those scriptures, with sattva. And the conclusion of all scripture is that Vishnu is the supreme and that devotion to him alone is the means and the end. And there's various opinions. Why? Because the materialistic nature, those in the materialistic nature do not accept Vishnu as supreme. So they are naturally attracted to scriptures related to other paths, even though those two lead to Vishnu indirectly. The verses spoken here are spoken by sage Vaisampayana in response to King Janamajaya's query about the ultimate purpose of Sankhya, Yoga, Pajaratra, and Aranyaka. From the sage's reply, it is evident that there are three divisions of Shastra, namely Vedas, also called Nigama, Pajaratra, also called Agama, and Darsanas, propagated by various sages. So what are those Darsanas? I thought we would be good to review those. So the Darsanas, the main schools in Indian tradition, main schools of thought or main visions. A darshan is, is a vision. So what is your perspective? What is your vision of existence, really? Or reality? Like or the absolute truth? Your, abs- your conception of the absolute truth. So what are they in Indian philosophy? They are Sankhya, it's an atheistic and strongly dualistic theoretical exposition of consciousness and matter. Remember, there's two Sankhyas, so let's talk about the atheistic conception is what's being spoken of here. And what is that conception? Everything evolves from consciousness and, you know, there's the elements of material nature, but they come about just as, as, a, as a natural course. There's not, there's not a supreme control. There's, right, there's nothing, there's nothing, they're coming out, they, they are what constitutes 
earth, water, fire, air, ether, mind, intelligence, false ego, the different senses, all this is coming about and is, is how the living entity relates with the material nature. Then there's the yoga school of thought, which is emphasizing meditation, contemplation, and liberation. There's the nyaya, or the logical school of thought, which explores different sources of knowledge, Vaisiseka, uh, an empirist school of atomism. Now, really, this Vaisiseka is the closest thing to the Western schools of thought. One of the con one of the contentions of this school of thought is there's only so many atoms. Now, this conforms to, you know, so many atoms in a universe. So this kind of it really plays into modern scientific thought. There's only so much matter and all those different theories they have in relationship to matter and atoms and, you know, the nature of, of, of how matter works. Of course, it's evolved a little bit now where, well, is it matter or is it energy? Where's, where do the two meet? And then, you know, they've come up with their minds. They've even take this atomization to the to another quantum degree, where they can't they can't even put their finger on what it is and isn't. And you know, for every action, there's an opposite and equal reaction. But for some actions, there's no opposite and we equal. We can't figure out what the well, it's a quark, and it it kind of it's a little quirky, and it it doesn't have to act the way we normally would think matter would work. With so it's it's that whole thing. So when we hear that Vaisiseka, that's that's that other darshan, that other school of thought. Mimamsaka, and we're pretty familiar with that because. Krishna argued that the way he argued it to his father we can grasp what it is why do you need if you it's it's a it's a it's a it's a school of thought where there's absolute karma karma is the absolute truth so if you understand mimamsaka in that way it's easy that, well, what's what's the difference? If we do the right thing, we're going to get the right result. You're, you're worshiping Indra, but really you could worship a mouth. As long as you're worshiping and you have the right consciousness about it and you've done the work, then the crops will come. That's the nature of karma. That's the nature of work in the world. So worship a hill or worship Indra. Worship me as the hill. You'll get the same. The cowherd men are like scratching their heads. What? Wait. Tradition, tradition. They're running on the roots or they're, <laughs> they're thatched huts. They're, they're screaming tradition. We have to follow tradition. But Krishna charmed them into following his new tradition. 
But you understand the point. Absolute karma. You, that's, that's really what Mimamsaka is. And then we have Vedanta. In Vedanta, what do we accept? We accept descending knowledge from a plane of existence beyond the reaches of the, our mind and our senses. So these schools of thought, Sankhya, Yoga, Nyaya, uh, Vaisiseka, Mimamsa, or Vedanta. So these six schools of thought are the predominant schools of thought in the Astika, Orthodox, but there's also the Heterodox. These are Orthodox. What, what, what makes them Orthodox? They rely on the Veda as the primary justification for their presentation. The heterodox, well, we have this, the Jains and the Buddhists. They've made it up as they go along. Our time is at an end. Are there any questions? Yes. Um, it talked about you know different scriptures having different weights. So I remember you would often say that about Srila Prabhupada's teachings, like his letters don't carry the same weight as his lectures, which don't carry the same weight as his books so well I've always equated the books and the and the lectures direct lectures yeah to me lectures public addresses where he's he's presenting scripture and the scripture itself that he's commented upon but I understand your point and the other thing the letters and the room conversations or direct discussions do not and you can kind of see the same reasoning behind those different scriptures having different weights applied to Srila Prabhupada's teachings is you know it's more like I don't know different I don't want to say it's in different modes but because of the circumstances it's usually the students were at different right his presentations in his books and his lectures are as you say, they carry more praman. They have more spiritual weight yeah. because they're arguments that could be that can go anywhere. Yeah. So his books are, are applicable to all of humanity. And then this is like action in a particular place. Right. This is dealing with with devotees who's who are covered at that point in their practice. Exactly. Now some other devotees, disciples. Of course, we all came from a a general background here in the Western world. But we can imagine that if Prabhupada was with us now, if he, then his, his room conversations and his letters would be entirely different. Mm-hmm. That he'd letter, have letters to new students and he'd have letters to devotees that had been practicing for 40 or 50 years now and how much different they would be. And he'd certainly present what would be considered contradictory contradictory statements in those letters. Yeah, it's a very good point you're making. It, it really brings out how the scriptures themselves are tailor-made right. and also the 
the approach to scripture changes and how they're not put forward in a purpose to confuse people you know it's just they're meant for a particular population right but we will come to the section in the discussion of the next down of Chady where they have an advantage what has an advantage the, the contradictions in the scriptures have a purpose also and they are to increase the faith. There's different arguments there. And by arguing, our faith becomes stronger. Mm-hmm. So we're able to argue from the standpoint of the sattvic scriptures against those other conceptions. Purvapaksa is the, is the terminology, if I remember correctly. So by offering an alternative then we have to come back and say no, mm-hmm. and that even strengthens the faith further. And now we're seeing what is how deep and how important and significant is Sambandha Gyan. We, we pick up the Sandarbhas and start going through them with, with the commentary of somebody like Sachin Das who's schooled in all this for his whole life. His whole He's born in, these tradi- in the traditions mm-hmm. and so his commentaries bring out all these subtleties of these different schools of thought and you go wow and then you go and you try to educate yourself and you just begin to scratch the surface of of what's there and you say at the end of your life boy if i'd only known how much i should know at the beginning of my life i would have spent more time reading All right, thank you so much for your association.